Our first reading, we have two readings this evening. Um, the first one will be now, the second one will be a little bit later on. The first reading is from Mark chapter 14 on page 1022 in the Church Bible. Mark 14, page 1022. And we'll start at verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said and went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the cock crowed, the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Two friends, Bob and Jim, were speaking over lunch in the cafeteria. Now, Bob and Jim, they've been friends for a long, long time, and they're joking, and they're laughing, and they're having a generally good time, a good lunch. Well, after a while, Jim says he has to get back to work and heads out of the room, leaving Bob to his lunch. And just then, another friend of Bob, Bob's comes over and sits down with him. They begin chatting, and this other friend begins talking about Jim and how he simply can't stand him. His annoying habits, his weird laugh, how he's always slightly too early for everything. And all the while he's speaking, Bob is agreeing with this friend, and even, well, he's even adding his own reasons as to why Jim is a bit of a loser. Well, Unbeknown to both of them, just a few feet away, is Jim. He had left his mobile on the lunch table and had come back to get it. He's heard every word they've said. Bob looks up and with horror sees Jim and sees the look of pain, hurt and confusion on his face. Well, Bob and Jim are fictional, but it's an all-too-real scenario, isn't it? And I wonder if you've ever been in a situation like that, where you discover your friend isn't as faithful as you thought they were. Perhaps you hear a conversation which is about you. Perhaps you hear from another friend or a colleague what they really think about you. Perhaps you've been sent a text or an email by mistake, meant for someone else, but it's actually about you. Well, how do those situations make you feel? We hate them, don't we? It grates against us. 
even if it's not you involved, just hearing about it, hearing about poor Jim, it gets our back up, doesn't it? The unfaithful friend who says one thing and does the opposite. Well, that's the kind of guy that we're looking at tonight, a faithless friend. We're carrying on our series of transformed lives, and tonight we are looking at the life of Simon Peter. We're familiar with this guy, aren't we? This friendly and likeable fisherman who wears his heart on his sleeve and speaks his mind. But we're also familiar with the passage that we had had read out for us from Mark's Gospel, where Peter denies that he even knew Jesus. And that's what we're going to be zooming in on this evening. So if you could keep your Bibles open on Mark 14 and verse 66 onwards, that's what we're going to be looking at now. Here in Mark's Gospel, we find ourselves moments away from Jesus' crucifixion and death. He's before the Sanhedrin, on trial before the religious leaders. And Peter, one of his closest disciples and friend, well, he's in the courtyard just outside from where his trial is taking place. And notice in verse 66, have a look at it, that unlike the situation that Jesus is in, Peter is not Uh, It's not some intimidating group of religious leaders and soldiers who are interrogating Peter. No, it's a servant girl asking him a question. You were with the Nazarene, Jesus. He denies it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. She She says again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denies it denies that the last three years of his life spent following Jesus ever happened. Those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, you're a Galilean, you're one of his followers. And Peter says, may God strike me dead now if I am lying, damn me if I am lying. I never knew this man, this man Jesus that you're talking about. I never even knew him. And the rooster crows, and Peter has denied his teacher, his friend, and his Messiah three times before the rooster has crowed twice. And in doing so, Peter has fulfilled that prophecy, that prediction that Jesus made back in verse 30. Turn back just one page, just one page, where Jesus says, Today, verse 30, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. What does Peter say in response to these words from Jesus? Verse 31, even if I have to die with you, I will never, I will never disown you. But just one page later, and what do we see? Mere hours later, Peter is swearing that he never even knew Jesus. He began to call down curses upon himself and swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And the terrible truth is that as 
the religious leaders are spitting at Jesus. They've blindfolded him and they're hitting him and saying, prophesy, who hit you? It's at that very moment that Jesus' prophecy of Peter's denial is coming true. So, what do we learn about Peter here? We learn that he was a fearful friend. His concern for his own welfare, his reputation, his safety, was greater at this point than his love for Jesus. He was a fearful friend. Peter was also a forgetful friend, forgetting the words that Jesus gave mere hours before, saying that he would deny him. Forgetting that Jesus had told him and all of his disciples that all this would happen. That he, Jesus, would die and would be crucified. Peter was also a faithless friend. He had seen Jesus heal hundreds, feed thousands, bring the dead to life, even heal his own mother-in-law. He had heard Jesus' teaching, been taught to understand his parables, travelled with him on the road and on the sea. For three years, Peter had followed Jesus. And now, he denies Jesus three times. I never knew him. Peter is fearful, forgetful, faithless. Peter is a failure of a friend. And I think we'd all recognise that, wouldn't we? But we also need to recognise this evening that if we think Peter was a bad friend, then we are just as bad, if not worse. We all, like Peter, are fearful. We care so, so much about what others think about us, how others see us and perceive us. And we think so little about God and how he sees us. We fear people when we should fear God. And like Peter, we are forgetful too. I'm not talking about the times when you're you're looking for your glasses and you look everywhere and you can't find them, they're not on the sofa, they're not on the table, and it turns out all along that they were on your head. I'm not talking about that kind of forgetfulness. Or perhaps when you're, again, searching for your phone and it turns out it's in your hand. It's amazing how you can do these things. Well, I'm not talking about that kind of forgetfulness. I'm talking about the kind of forgetfulness that means we don't remember who we are as Christians. When we forget God's promises. Tim Keller says, When I forget I am justified by faith alone, I give place to guilt and regret about the past. I therefore live in bondage to idols of power and money that make me feel better about myself. When I forget I am being sanctified through the presence of God's Holy Spirit, I give up on myself, on being a Christian. When I forget the hope of my future resurrection, I become afraid of ageing, afraid of death. When I forget my adoption into the family of God, I become full of fears. I don't pray with honesty. I lose my confidence. I try to hide my faults from God and myself. 
we are so forgetful. And when we look at our hearts, we know that we're just like Peter. We're faithless towards God too. You see, we have all denied and rejected God. We have all been faithless to him, choosing our own way and doing what we want. And from all this, we need to recognise that Jesus alone is faithful and I am not. Jesus alone is able to die for others because he alone is faithful. And that's why we see him arrested. That's why we see him enduring this corrupt sham of a trial. That's why we see the creator and king of the universe stripped naked and nailed to a cross. Because we are failures as friends. And because we have made ourselves God's enemies. Jesus is willing to go all the way, even to die on a cross, because we are faithless and he alone is faithful. Jesus alone is faithful. I can't say it enough this evening. Peter, this fearful, forgetful, faithless man, breaks down and weeps. What hope is there for him? And what hope is there for me and you here this evening? Well, think back to when I first started to Bob and Jim and how we recognised that we actually really hate faithlessness, don't we? Faithless friends. Well, this evening, let me tell you that God hates it even more. He is more angry at faithlessness than we could ever, ever be. And where does that leave you and me? The fearful, two-faced friend before God. Well, we're in serious trouble, aren't we? But mercifully, Jesus has made a way. Because it doesn't end there. It doesn't end on the cross. It's on the cross that we see faithful Jesus taking all the wrongs of the faithless. But it's after that, in the empty tomb, that we see that Jesus has defeated sin, defeated death, and made a way for us to be friends with God. Without the salvation that Jesus offers, you are no friend of God's. But with it, we can be called a friend of God, a son or a daughter of God. Get just how amazing that is. And that is the amazing truth that was the cause for Peter's dramatic transformation. And we're going to see now that transformation and the effect that it had on Peter's life in our second reading this evening. So I'm going to hand back over to Mark for that. Our second reading is from Acts chapter 2, verse 14, and that's page 1093. 1093, Acts 2, beginning at verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. 
These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence." Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Heard there, that was Peter speaking. That was Peter's sermon in front of thousands of people. 
We've seen this snivelling wreck of a man, Peter, in Mark's Gospel. But here in Acts, we see someone completely different. So keep that passage open in front of you as we look at this change in Peter. But before we jump uh, into that chapter and we look at this transformation, let me ask you a question this evening. What difference does being a Christian make? Does it make any difference at all? Is being a Christian any different from being, for example, on a football team? You meet in certain places, you have a special team or congregation, it's often on Sundays and it keeps you busy, it gives you a social life. So is that what being a Christian is? A very specific hobby that keeps you busy on the weekends, perhaps gets you up a little bit too early on Sundays. Is that what Christianity really is? And if that's what it is, then does it make any difference to how you live your life? Well, if that's what it was, then yes, it would make a bit of difference, but no more than any other specific hobby would. And that is the question that we all need to think about this evening. Because a lot of us here tonight will be very used to Christian things, Christian circles, and the Christian way of life. Not everyone, but a lot of people here this evening will be. There are a couple of extensive surveys that were taken, one in the US and one here in the UK, but both of them came with with similar results that reveal that around about 94% of people who are Christians who were converted chose to follow God when under the age of 18. And I won't get you to put up your hands this evening, but if you know and think that that is you, then recognise that stat, that the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians are Christians made uh, that, that declaration of faith were converted when they were under the age of 18. Which I think is a really interesting stat. And it's one of the reasons that we have such a strong focus on a good children's and youth work here at St Mary's. But it also shows us that a lot of people will have grown up in Christian homes and will have known about God and Jesus for most of their lives. And when this is the case, individuals can so often have doubts as to whether or not they're really Christians, whether or not they're actually saved, whether or not Christianity actually makes a difference to their lives. Well, here in Acts 2, we see a man who has spent years with Jesus, but had never really got Jesus. That is, until he saw his resurrected Lord, until he saw Jesus risen from the dead. Here, in the transformed life of Peter, we see that being a Christian makes all the difference in the world. Look at Acts 2 with me in the context that leads up to Peter's sermon that we had read out for us. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, shortly after... Jesus had risen and ascended back into heaven. All the disciples were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like rushing wind came down from heaven and filled the whole place. 
the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in different languages. Those standing near them in the crowd, people of all kinds of dialects, well, they hear their own language being spoken. The crowd were filled with confusion. They were all amazed and perplexed. They begin to ask one another, what could this be? Some believed that it must be the wonderful work of God. Others began to mock Peter and the other disciples, saying that they clearly had one glass too many and were drunk. And here is where we see our friend Peter and his new nature. We see the beginning of his new life as a spirit-filled, transformed believer. No longer the wishy-washy, all-over-the-place person he once was. No, a new power had been given to him, and a new life was now set in motion. Peter rejects the crowd's ridiculous assumption that they're drunk. It's nine in the morning, for crying out loud. No, he says, this is what's going on. And at this point, he preaches to the people. He gives them a sermon. And we see in his sermon that Peter has recognised for himself the reality of the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus, risen from the dead. Verse 24, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible, impossible for death to keep hold of him. I love that. It was impossible for death to hold on to Jesus. And it's Peter's belief and certain knowledge in that wonderful reality that causes his complete transformation. And looking at this chapter in Acts, we see what that transformation was. Peter went from being a fearful friend to a bold evangelist as he stands in front of thousands and clearly proclaims the gospel for all to hear. Some mock him and are against what he's saying. Does he deny it? Does he back down? No. Peter boldly sheds God's light into the darkness of the lives of those there that day. He has completely changed. And as a result of this transformation of Peter's fearless preaching, we see in verse 41, that wonderful verse, have a look at it, verse 41, those who accepted his, mes- his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Just get that image into your heads. 3,000 people saved, believed, were baptised because of God greatly using Peter's preaching here. That is what a transformed life looks like. But we also saw that he was a forgetful friend, forgetting Jesus' prophecies and predictions and forgetting the promises made to him. Well, here again, we see that Peter has been completely changed, transformed, and is now a man who remembers God's promises. As he quotes from the prophet Joel and quotes David from the Psalms, he recalls the scriptures and remembers God's promises made thousands of years ago. 
And he shares through those, those promises the truths of his risen Lord Jesus. And finally, we remember as Peter denied Jesus, saying he never knew the man, that he was a faithless friend. But now what do we see? We see that he is a faithful follower. We see from later in Acts, a man willing to be mocked. In Acts 12, a man willing to be imprisoned, willing to suffer, willing even to die for Jesus. Peter, the once faithless denier, went on to die professing Jesus' name as Lord of his life. Peter is now very much a faithful follower. Can you imagine a greater turnaround? It's incredible that Peter could change so much, that he could go from being a failure of a friend to, through Jesus, now being a friend of God. What was the cause of all this? Well, we've seen that it was through Peter recognising and knowing for himself that Jesus had conquered death and had risen. And in addition to that, looking at the beginning of this passage, we also see that it is the Holy Spirit that causes this dramatic change, this complete lifestyle U-turn in Peter. We were coming back from the men's weekend away and Sam and I and John Mason, we took a slight scenic route on the way back. The sat-nav was taking us all over the place in the Welsh valleys and the sat-nav was constantly telling us, turn left and then do a U-turn, turn right and then do a U-turn and there's road diversions and it's chaos. Well here we see a complete lifestyle U-turn in Peter. In his sermon, in verse 17, he quotes the prophet Joel and says, God has poured his spirit upon them. And that is how they were able to do these incredible things that we see here in this passage. That is how Peter is able to address this crowd and boldly, coherently, powerfully speak good news, the good news of Jesus, into the lives of thousands. It was by the Holy Spirit that Peter did those things. So often we're told by the popular culture of today, by the media, social media, to release your inner potential, etc., etc. But the only way to true, lasting and ultimate transformation is to be changed by God and to be filled with God, the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, uh, 22, have a look at the screen, we read this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit, that fruit, belongs to the Spirit and not to us. His fruit is all those things, and through him, we can bring those things to bear in our own lives. Note how Peter here, filled with the Holy Spirit, goes from complete faithlessness to complete faithfulness. Faithfulness, one of the fruits of the Spirit. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that 
helps Peter and gives him the confidence to stand and speak, reminds him of the promises of God that he had forgotten as he faces the crowd. And later, it's the Holy Spirit that enables him to remain faithful when the old Peter would have long given up, denying the Christ that he would ultimately go on to die professing. If we want this type of fruit in our lives, and if you're a Christian here this evening, how could you not? Then we too must live empowered by the Spirit. The transformation that occurs is dramatic and overwhelming, and it can be in our lives too, if we believe and trust and let the Holy Spirit change us. That is what it is to be a Christian, to believe in the risen Lord Jesus, who enables you to be friends with God. And in doing so, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. God is with us and in us and enables us to be more and more like him, to live lives that are pleasing to him, lives that are transformed. Before, we were enemies of God, but now with the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, we can now be friends with God. We can now even please God by how we live, in the ways that we use our transformed lives to glorify him. So, having seen this wonderful transformation, this complete change in this humble fisherman, come preacher man, some questions for you. How about you? Have you been changed through Jesus from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God? Remember Peter back in Mark's Gospel. He was an enemy of God. And we too are enemies of God without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. But again in Galatians, and this time Galatians 4, we read that God sent the Spirit, the Spirit of his Son, into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that mind-blowing? That if you're an enemy of God here this evening, that by believing and trusting in Jesus, who has risen from the dead, you can become not a slave, not an enemy of God, but a son, a daughter of God's. Men on the weekend away, we can become a man's son. We can become children of God. You can be adopted into the family of God. So have you believed and trusted in Jesus? Are you an enemy of God or are you a friend of God? You can be transformed this evening through the work of the Holy Spirit. You can call God my Father. And if you would say that you do believe that you have been adopted into God's family and that you have received the Holy Spirit then have you seen the change in your life that he has brought? It's a picture of George VI as a child. I'm sure a few of you will have seen the King's speech about uh, King George VI and that 
well, transformation that he had from being uh, a king who had real struggles uh, to then being able to, to boldly speak to the nation. But this is King George VI as a child. And he particularly remembered that as a child, when attending public occasions, big banquets or meetings, that his mother would lean over to him and say these words, remember who you are. That's what she would say to the prince, remember who you are. And what she meant by that was that as the son of the king, you need to behave. You can't do whatever you want to do. You can't throw your toys out of the pram and have a tantrum. You need to act according to who you are as a son of the king. Know it and act like it. The transformation in Peter's life couldn't be clearer, could it? But how about you? Have you seen the change that God has made in your life? Are you, with the Holy Spirit, fearing God more than you're fearing man? Are you remembering and living by God's promises? Are you living your life faithfully to Christ, even when it's costly? Even when you're the only one, when it's hard, when it's lonely, when it's not exactly what you want to do? Is that how you're living your life? Are you faithful? Peter was imprisoned and put on trial a number of times. But if it was you here this evening being put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would you be found guilty of being a Christian? Or would there not be enough evidence to put you behind bars to convict you? We're not perfect and we're never going to be perfect whilst on this earth. Even after this, Peter still got things wrong and had to be corrected by the Apostle Paul. But what is undeniably clear is that this was a man who was saved and changed. Can the same be said of you? Remember, Peter was a simple man with many, many flaws. Who? through Jesus' resurrection and through the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to be greatly, greatly used by God. And you too can be greatly used by God in your homes, in your workplace, at college, with your friends, through your conversations, in your actions, what you choose not to do. God can use your transformed life to bring others to salvation too. Have you been adopted as a child of God? And if you have, are you living like a son or daughter of the King? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you so, so much that we can call you our Father that we can be adopted into your family through Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection. Help us all to know that for ourselves this evening and in knowing that and in believing that, to receive and to be filled with your Holy Spirit who will go on to change us and to make us more like you. 
Help us to take a, a good, long, hard look at how we're living our lives and to ask the question, am I living like a son or daughter of the King? We thank you for all these things. Help us to, to go away thinking about them and how we can better live for you or better know you. We ask this in your name. Amen.